my wish for, for Africans in the startup system or the, in the ecosystem is for them to build solutions for our African problems. Let, let's, let's stay away from building your TikToks and your, <laughs> no shade to TikTok and all of this. We have a lot of problems. We have problems with energy. We have problem with, with food, with, with you know, ag agriculture. We have problem with water, clean water and health. As we come in as young founders, as, as African founders who are in the tech space, we, we intimate with those problems and we also intimate with tech. So let's merge those things. Let's merge those two intimacies and, and build for Africa because the numbers are there. The last time I checked, we were 1.3 billion and I'm not sure how much, how many we are at the moment. So the numbers are there. The buying power is there. Let's build solutions for African problems. Our, let's become think tanks. They are yeah, build tech solutions to tackle Africans' problems. Then the next generations can do the TikToks. <laughs> no, that's, that's funny. This is the New Africa Podcast, where we talk to leaders across all industries who are solving problems in Africa and are working to bolster the quality of living, economy, arts, and well-being of all the continent's people. I'm your host, Pelumi Fafuora. Well, it's nice to have you here with us today. I'm just going to go ahead and get started with the questions. Um, we were really excited to see um, the startup you guys got set up over there, uh, just making medicine accessible to people. Um, but to kind of like explore the problem a little bit more, I wanted to start off by asking you, like, you know, when you took on this venture, what was the main problem you saw and what was the problem that uh, Whaler was really trying to solve? Okay, when, when we started, it... It was first a delivery platform where we wanted to deliver like your food, like your, your Uber Eats, clothes for people who sell on Instagram and things like that, and also medicine. Then I went back to the drawing board because you know, the market was uh, saturated. Of all the things that we want to deliver, which one resonates with me personally, which one has impact, and which one is scalable to emerging economies, meaning from South Africa to Latin America. Then I focused on the meds delivery part of it. Then we changed the name, uh, company name to Wello. Wello means meaning wellness. I, know, I played on the word wellness and then we came uh, into Wello. So that's how Wello was born. It was first just the delivery platform delivering everything until we pivoted to medicine because we knew that we wanted to do something that has impact and that's, uh, that is scalable as well. I love that. I really love that. Actually, I particularly like the idea of, you know, reassessing and like figuring out where you guys really want to target. Um, and I think that's really, really cool. Along the lines of like being a, a drug delivery system for people, um, what are some issues that you have to like navigate around that? Like, is there any ongoing issues with like drug delivery systems that, you know, you, you guys already like uh, address? And if there's any other things that you see right now as you're starting the business that you guys are trying to work around as well? Yes, when we were studying, uh, one of our issues, because we use the gig economy model, uh, our drivers are the same drivers who are driving for Uber Eats and Mr. Delivery and other apps. So our challenges with that was that sometimes they would put our orders at the back and they would service Uber first. And that time your customer is calling frantic, where's my medicine? And, you know, and because we're delivering medicine, we, it's, it's, we're delivering health. It's more than medicine. A person has to get that medicine at the right time because they follow uh, you know, a certain schedule. It's a life and death situation. 
So for me, that was the challenge when we started. Then I went back to the drawing board, sat down with my drivers and said, you know what? This is not like an Uber Eats gig. This is not like a pizza delivery gig. We are actually delivering health. So work with me here. How can we make it better so that, you know what, uh, we come first before other people. Then uh, I increased their rates because, you know, money is an incentive everywhere. <laughs> so I increased their rates and also increased my, my asking price from the clients. But because the clients are so happy about this service, they were like, you know what, we're even willing to pay more. We don't mind because this is a service that we've been looking for for years. Like my, my typical client wakes up at 5 a.m. No, doesn't wake up at 5. She wakes up at 3, uh, 3 a.m. 4 p.m. she leaves her house. 5 p.m. she's queuing at the hospital. And she'll only leave the hospital at about 2 or 3 p.m. So you can imagine the pain point that this is solving. That's why when I increase the price to, you know, to tackle this thing of my drivers not prioritizing us, they were more than happy. And the other thing that I'm doing as well is that I workshop, I, I take my drivers through training, through workshop, you know, to make sure that, you know, when they deliver our products, it's not like they're delivering pizza or, or chicken licking. They, uh, they, there's customer care that's in there. You're delivering to somebody who's stressed out, who's sick. You have to be patient and all of those little nuances. So, yeah, but we managed to get through that hurdle and learn from there. That's really, really cool. And I hear you saying the words, no, we are delivering health, uh, which is, mm -hmm. it, that's a that's a lot of impact right there. And then those words, um, mm -hmm. obviously there's some like obstacles you have to like, you have to be very strategic about how you talk to your drivers, things like that. And we're wondering like what motivates you within to like to deliver health, that it's it's medicine that's really caught your attention like this that you really wanted to give, apart from just like the part where you talked about um, assessing mm -hmm. The, the market a little bit, but more so the, the personal level of it, like why medicine matters so much for you as a person? Uh, I think what motivated me is that my mother, I you know I felt this pain point exactly at home, especially during the COVID times. My mom would struggle to get her medication because she's on chronic medication. So she would struggle to get her medication on time from the local pharmacy. You know, it will take sometimes three days, we'll make calls. And it would take three days for them to deliver with their own scooters. And that time I'm in Johannesburg, I'm at the city. My mom is at the rural areas. So that time I'm not there to help her. There's nobody to help her. Then we have to wait extra days for the mess to get to her. So for me, uh, that was the tipping point for me. When I, when, I, when I started choosing the services that we're going to deliver, I was like, you know what? What my mom is experiencing, experienced by many people across the country and also in the continent. But in South Africa, I know many people are experiencing that pain point. So for me, that was the tipping point. You just mentioned a workshopping your your uh, your drivers and the people that work with you. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of like resources did you reach into to, to, to set up those workshops and stuff like that? Uh, you know, when I started Wello, we actually five months now, mm -hmm. everything has been through bootstrapping. Everything has just been through bootstrapping. I told myself that, you know what, I'm not going to, create a pitch deck and start fundraising and just wait for somebody to save us. I told myself that I'm going to strap, we're going to build this thing, gain traction and funding will fund us on the way. So the bootstrapping part, I've been an entrepreneur since 2003, so uh, up to date. So the bootstrapping part for me, I used to have sessions, which I still do even now, I, I do them on Sundays. 
I do strategy sessions with entrepreneurs via Zoom or sometimes face-to-face, you know, where I help the, uh, the, the businesses to go from, from A to Z, from strategy to execution, because you can have all the ideas in the world, but people struggle with, you know, executing the, on those ideas and breaking them down to tangibles. So that money is the money that I was using for Wailona. Then I will, you know, get uh, venues, such as my drivers, buy them some drinks, some lunch, and have a half-day session with them where I train them on our processes from, you know, when you make a delivery, even post-delivery, how you treat your customers and all of that. So the resources I tapped into is my expertise as an entrepreneur from 2003 and also the money that I'm making through my, my bootstrapping side gigs. I have a question that follows up that, but for our listeners at home, could you maybe define bootstrapping a little bit more so they can like follow the conversation? When, you, when you're running a startup or we, when you're starting a business, you're going to need money to make calls for Wi-Fi, for printing, to buy T-shirts. You know, you're going to need money to run around at the end of the day. So bootstrapping is when you decide that, okay, because I need money to make this baby ex- or to get this baby off the ground. How can I, where can I find the money to pump into this new business? Because now a new business is like a new baby. You have to take them through the teething stages and all of that. So uh, bootstrapping is just tapping into your innate skills or the resources that you have in your hands to, to raise money for your business, just to get your business off the ground. Bootstrapping won't help if I want to go if I want to expand to Lagos, to Ghana, to Botswana, whatever, but it helps to get the business off the ground. So for me, I tapped into the skills that I already have. If you don't have skills, one of the other ways to bootstrap is to, to buy things and sell them. Mm-hmm. Buy cell phones, you know, whatever, buy handbags, buy hair pieces or whatever, sell them. From that profit, then you pump into your real baby, into your real business to get data. You have to attend meetings, you need petrol, you need to get on taxis and all of that. So you need money to make money, basically. So that's where bootstrapping comes in. That's that's really impressive. Um, I, and that's just for me, just hearing you talk about it right now. I'm not one that's really within the entrepreneurship space, but hearing that is really inspiring as far as like being able to, you know, really like, I think it comes from the name bootstrap to you know, pick yourself up by your bootstrap and figure out a way to make exactly you know, come, come <laughs> to life. I want to transition and ask a question more along the lines of like, you know, now that you guys, you guys, you said you're about five months in, um, what are the mm-hmm. new like goals and like uh, things you see on the horizon that you guys want to uh, address? Uh, we've added one service because this is a health tech company. So uh, from day zero, we were building for global expansion mm-hmm. and from day zero, we're building uh for a, like a health tech at, at, at home health tech company. So now we've added another service, which we did in February, the beginning of February, which is at home sample collection. So we deal with, the, with doctors who are doing, especially now during COVID, we're dealing with doctors who are doing telephone consultations. So after they do their telephone consultations, they will then call us or uh, log onto our website onto our chatbot and say, okay, I've done a a telephone consultation with Zanele. Can you please go to her house and get her urine sample or get her blood sample or get her COVID sample or her saliva sample? So now we're not only doing at-home medicine delivery, we're also doing at-home sample collection 
on behalf of doctors and on behalf of labs. So for that one, um, we're still using the same uh, gig economy model, but now we're using nurses because now you're dealing with uh, sending people to get bloods. I cannot use my ordinary Uber drivers. So now we have uh, registered nurses on our database who have their own cars. So to be on our database for sample collection, you have to be a registered nurse with experience and you have to have your own car. So after a doctor or after if a lab wants, us to, wants to send us to someone else's home, then I just log in, get one of our nurses to go there, go and collect blood at a person's house, at their own convenience, at the safety of their own home, get the blood sample, take it to the doctor who booked us or take it to the lab that booked us. So now that's our... Yeah, that's our second service that we added now in February. Oftentimes, you no, know, it's it's really difficult to establish yourself within the healthcare field because of all the regulations and things like that. And it seems like you've done that really flawlessly. Can you walk us through a little bit, like navigating those contracts, recruiting nurses, having those conversations with hospital administration to let them really, you know, enter their space like this, and then for them to really trust you because there's an element of trust in there to like, you know, handle their patients for them. Uh, it was a bit tough at first because, you know, you starting up and I don't have any like medicine, uh, medical background as well. So I tapped into my existing networks and, you know, I knocked into those doors. Some of them were shut in my face mm -hmm. and some of them were like, we'll give you, we'll give you like an opportunity. Like the current B2B client that we, we just, uh, we just acquired is a, it's a hospital group. They have 10 clinics around Gauteng province. So when I pitched them, uh, I didn't go for all 10. I said, okay, give me a pilot. Give me three. Give me three of your hospital. See me. I'm going to deliver. And here's the database. Here are registered people, people that we've vetted. So give me three. Then if I deliver, then we'll take it from there. And then they were on board. They, we just signed them up now in February. And they were on board. And they said, you know what, if this, they're giving us a three months probation. So they say, if you do well in this three months, we want to give you all 10. So I didn't just go out and say, I want 10. I said, give me three, because I knew that from this three, I'm going to deliver. <laughs> and they went on board and said, no, we're going to give you 10. And they also sent me an email, I think last week, saying that uh, we also want to invest in your company. If you are interested, please tell us. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I said, no, not now. So I'll, I'll come back to you on that one because I'm still looking at all my options. But yeah, so you knock on those doors. Some of them will say no, you mm -hmm. just leave them. And some of them will say yes, we'll give you an opportunity. And also to convince the nurses to come and work for me, I had to give them incentives as well because they're like, you're not even a medical group. So I had to give them incentives. And it's something new that we're doing here in the country. So you also have to, you know, to climb those hurdles. Then, yeah, so I gave them some incentives and they were like, wow, this is a nice gig for us. We're working night shift at the hospital so we can do this, you know, during the days. Just a matter of going to someone's home, someone else's home for one hour. Mm -hmm. Then the other hour is maybe probably traveling. So I'm making extra money and it's something that I love and I'm dealing with people. It's something in my profession. So it's just a matter of sales. When you are a founder, you're always selling. <laughs> just hearing you talk, like these are the workings of a true entrepreneur. And like you can see the, the years of experience coming out as you're speaking to us right now. Um, I wonder a little bit like, you know, for folks that are, you know, maybe getting a little bit 
that are a little bit newer to like you know trying new ventures, uh, going through like uh, iterations of their ideas. You know, how do you deal with those no's and those doors that don't necessarily open? Like, uh, number one, don't take them personally. It's it's not a no against you as an entrepreneur. Sometimes it's just a no uh, against your idea or you're not a right fit or the timing is wrong. And when you get a no, don't just take no for an answer. Tell them, okay, uh, you're saying no. How can I turn this no into a yes? Where do I need to, where do I need to change? What do I need to make happen to turn this no into a yes? For example, uh, when I started, I spoke to some VCs uh, in Silicon Valley and, you know, to say, hey, I want you guys to fund me and all of that. And the, most of them were saying like, no. Then I went back to them and say, okay, why was my, my application rejected? Where, where did I go wrong? How can I fix this? And they say, okay, we need traction from you. Give us traction. Give us these numbers. Give us these milestones. Then you can come back to us. That's how you turn a no into a yes. So now I'm building traction. And the traction is even amazing because it's just five months. Now I know I'm going to go back to them and say, hey, you know, when I started, I didn't even have one customer, one paying customer, one client. That bot was, was still messy. The product was still a mess. So now with the product, we've done one, two, three. We've improved. With the customers, we've done one, two, three. And now we're not only doing medicine delivery. We're also doing one, two, three and signed up three uh, hospital, one hospital uh, who's giving us three clinics. And we've done one, two, three. So let's get back to the uh, to the drawing again now. Let's back, let's get back to the negotiation table. Try to see how you turn no's into a yes. That's that's really really cool because you know you hear a lot of different approaches to um to navigating the no's. Um, and I appreciate appreciate like I appreciate yours because you talk about how you can engage that person in conversation of like how do I how do I turn what I just gave you into a yes for you um, and it kind of puts you know the the person that you're talking to at the center of the conversation a little bit you know gives mm-hmm. them that, that space for them to feel important um, so I really appreciate the way you, you know you approach that um, we, we did a little bit of like you no know, background on you a little bit and this kind of derails from um, parts of where we wanted to go but it, it's we feel like it's important um, because it tells a little story about how you came to be uh, such a well-rounded entrepreneur. Uh, we saw that, you know, you, you did talk about spending some time in Silicon Valley, uh, doing some, a lot of work in like the startup world. So kind of asking like, well, no, what led you there? What led you to care so much about, you know, doing work within startup space? Because we know it's not for everybody. Uh, so what led you towards that part of the, the world? Okay, I've been in mining uh, since 2003 as a mining contractor. So I'll just give you a brief overview of the services that you used to offer. When you go underground, you know, to extract your ore, be it diamond, chrome, platinum, etc., uh, there's a there, there are service providers that mines use to extract the ore. So there's a service provider that does drill and blasting, which is like you put your explosives underground, you know, so that the rock can pop out. Mm-hmm. Then I would come now with secondary support. Mine will be now after they do the drill and blast and they extract the ore. I now have to put the rocks back together support the roof underground so that people who are going to work underground can go there in a safe manner. Mm. So that's what I was doing since 2003. Then 2018, uh, the rug was just pulled out of my feet, like under my feet. The mine where I had a very nice lucrative contract, it closed down because the Canadian owners were, were, were you know, uh, disinvesting out of South Africa. Mm-hmm. They gave, gave us like three months uh, 
what is it, three months notice. So I lost everything. I like, I lost my cars. I had to move out of my big mansion in Santon here in Johannesburg. I had to downgrade and all of that. So I literally had to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. Then I went back to the drawing board and I was like, you know what? No, I'm tired of this life of depending on contracts. You have to, you know, you are at the mercy of procurement managers, of mine managers. You have to know this one. You know, when you work with government or with big private companies, you have to know this one and all of that. You know, even mm-hmm. in Nigeria at the refineries, I don't think people get easily get big contracts at Shell without yeah. knowing anyone. <laughs> Exactly. So I was like, no, man, I'm an entrepreneur and I always have ideas and I know I can make this, even though I'm I'm almost 40 because that time I was 38. <laughs> I said, OK, where can I go? And I said, OK, there's this thing called the tech industry. Mind you, I, I was not even on WhatsApp. I was so anti-tech. I was just living the most simplest life, <laughs> enjoying my money. Then I was like, OK, I have so many ideas. I wanted to do something in fintech as well, you know, like a susu, something like that. Mm. Then I said, okay, where can I learn about tech? Because I'm not even on WhatsApp. I'm not even on Twitter. I don't know nothing. Then I said, but but my thing is that it's all or nothing. Go big or go home. That's, that's, mm. that's my, uh, my MO. And I said, okay, where's the best place to learn about this? And I said, Silicon Valley. Okay. Then I started Googling it and all of that. I said, okay, I can go to IC. You know, I can't go, I can't go into those incubators. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll form my own incubator. I'll spend three to four months there. I'll attend events. I'll do office hours. I'll meet with founders. I'll teach myself about the startup scene. Then coincidentally, my last car that I had went into an accident. You know, it was a, it was a ride off. I was driving that time, but thanks God I was, uh, I was not hurt. It was a ride off. And as soon as the insurance uh, guys gave me the money, I said, I'm not going to buy another car. I'm going to buy tickets. I'm flying to Silicon Valley. When, when I come back, I won't have a car. It's fine. I'll go back to using Texas. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Silicon Valley. I stayed in Airbnbs. I stayed in hostels. The first time in my life, I stayed in a hostel because <laughs> you know I, was, I grew up quite privileged. <laughs> but as the money was running out, I had to leave Airbnbs and go to hostel. I found a night job there in, in San Francisco. So uh, is that a place that has events, startup events? So I would attend the events uh, during the day. And after the event, I would help with the cleaning, uh, the picking up and all of that. And I would get you know, $20 uh, per hour. So it, yeah, then I would also you know, network and all of that. So from then on, I came back with you know, friendships with VCs in Silicon Valley, uh, friendships with founders. And you know, I was so invigorated. I knew that this is my space. This is a space for entrepreneurs who want to build something and who want to build something at scale and who want to share what they're building with the world with no connections, no anything and all of that. So I knew from there that no, this might be. So I spent, yeah, I spent some few months there. I came back home and I started building. Honestly, I, I love that for you. Um, I love that for you. I'm actually going to transition into to Kalumi real quick. He has a question he wants to ask you. Um, but we just love the story that you just shared with us about, you know, really taking ownership and understanding like this is the time I have to transition in my life. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm taking that bold risk of like putting yourself out there. But I'll let Kalumi get his question in. Yeah, no, that's super impressive. Like, just like 
moving there. It's like, I'm just going to do this. And there's hustling. But I was wondering, like, I mean, South Africa, is, how does, like, what you learned there, I guess, yeah, could you say, like, what you learned there exactly when you were in SV, like, maybe, like, some key takeaways um, in Silicon Valley? And then also, how is that translated? Okay. What I learned there, number one, was to, like, how to pitch, how to, which is very important, how to pitch, how to sell, and how to build, like, my deck, and also, you know, how to navigate the tech, the tech ecosystem. You know, things like your CTOs, I didn't even know about those things. So how to build your cap table, how to build from zero con to unicorn. I think that's what I learned when I was that side. So coming to South Africa, then I made sure that what I learned, I adopted to South Africa because South Africa and Silicon Valley is not the same and it's not the same environment and things like that. So I adopted what I learned there to South Africa. Like in Silicon Valley, if I was running this in the US, I would definitely be using an app. But here in South Africa and also in Africa, the language that we speak is WhatsApp. Your mom, your brother, your sister, your uncle, they communicate on WhatsApp. So here I said, okay, I'm not going to do an app. It's not the language that the people on the ground speak. I'm going to do a WhatsApp chatbot. That's the, that's the thing that can resonate with people. That's the language that my target market can speak. Then I said, okay, I'm going to leave the app thing and do a chatbot. So yeah, so I learned a lot that side. Then I acclimatized it to the African context going forward and also you know, going forward to Latin America, which is, which is in my goals, inspection goals for the next three to five years. You've touched a little bit on this idea. You started, you, well, you started off the whole thing talking about you built this idea based on wanting to go global with it. Um, exactly. Can you talk a little From bit days. about the avenues that you, you see that you could probably like you know, exploit to make that leap? Because I feel like for some entrepreneurs, they might get a little short-sighted because they don't know the keys to really making those connections to be able to go global. So could you talk a little bit about like your journey and what you see for yourself? Yeah, I think one of the things that I learned, especially from Silicon Valley was that, you know, from the day you built, built for, for global from day zero. So those are the one, one, that's one lesson that I will always take to heart. So when I built uh, Welo, that was the main aim, global from day zero. So we're going to start here in South Africa. From South Africa, I want to do Ghana, Zambia, and Lagos. From there, I want to do Latin America. I want to focus, for now, I want to focus on emerging economies because all of those countries that I'm talking of, is they are all emerging economies. So we have the same nuances. We might have differences here and there, but that we have the same nuances. Hence my example of WhatsApp chatbot. WhatsApp, I have friends in Colombia, Argentina, and they also use WhatsApp as their way of chatting, their way of buying business, uh, buying and all of that. So th there's, the, there's the, the goal. South Africa, Ghana, Lagos, uh, Nigeria, Zambia, then, uh, Afterwards, Latin America. That's impressive. We wish you nothing but the best over here. Um, and we, we honestly can't wait to, to be able to say like, hey, we, we talked to her. <laughs> we, we were there. We Thank saw you. it. We saw, the, we saw the idea coming together. Um, and it's really mm -hmm. exciting. It's really, really exciting. Um, mm -hmm. You talk about, you know, in, implementing this uh, idea of telehealth with this, um, the current situation we're dealing with, with this you know, global pandemic. There's been a lot of like, you know, you know, people really seeing the value in telehealth. Um, so I want to talk a little about you already talked about 
understanding that this is the platform that we use on this continent whatsapp like our families use it your family mm-hmm. uses it so it's like a very easy way to transition the idea um but as you see technologies grow within telehealth of like being able to put faces in the same room but across like you know uh, across distances then like what rooms to grow do you see within that realm that you might see yourself wanting to take on um in the future uh in the telehealth uh one we've already started with the sample uh, at home sample collection. I saw a gap in that one because now I can see telehealth is picking up. It's slowly and steadily you know, gaining steam because of COVID. But at the end of the day, there should be a bridge between the doctor uh, who's sitting in his hospital room and the patient who's sitting at home, but they're all sharing the same screen. So the bridge will be us. At the end of the day, they need the, they, uh, the patient needs medicine and the doctor needs to do a full diagnosis. So it means they either need the blood and the urine. So with the sample collection, I think we are at the right, yeah, I think we are at the right time and the timing is perfect for us to be the bridge between the two. So for now, we're going to uh, continue with that, focus on that and see uh, other services that we can add. With the WhatsApp bot specifically, how do you guys use that? Like what's the, what's behind the scenes that we don't see about how it works practically from customer to driver to nurse and all their different perspectives because people have different interactions with the technology as well. Sure, yeah. Uh, that one, <laughs> my developer could best explain it, but I'll try to do it uh, uh, with layman terms. From the client's point uh, side, they will like, just send hi to us, hi to our our number. Then the chatbot will prompt them you know, to uh, put a photo, attach a photo of their script, attach their addresses and all. It prompts them until the payment part. Then at the back end, our developer is doing all the things at the back end. Then they just send me a receipt to say, hey, send the driver to go and pick, uh, to go and deliver this at this address and payment is already done. We just get it automatically in in our bank account. So yeah, that's how best I can explain it. I'm not a techie. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. That definitely you know, gets the idea across. Uh, moving on a little bit more, you talked about starting with the bootstrapping, and now you're probably more of a stage where you're getting more people to, to see the value in your idea and like invest in it. So okay. is there an easy access to capital in South Africa as far as like the startup scene there? And if there isn't, how do you navigate doing that um, and getting, getting those funds and investors? It's, it's not easy to get funding in South Africa. It's, it's just not easy at all. You know, they want you when you're a growth company, when you have like your three-year financial statements and they're very risk averse. So for, for me going forward, uh, my fundraising strategy is to fundraise in, in Lagos because the tech system there is very, very much vibrant. And also in Silicon Valley with the network that I have and also in New York tech. So for me, that's my strategy fundraise in those three areas and get my seed capital. Then from then on, Series A. Yeah, but for now, I'm I'm raising seed. That's wonderful. Um, We've had an opportunity to talk to um, some folks that do some of that, like, financial advising for startups. And they spoke spoke a little bit towards like what they see the future of startups on the continent of Africa looking like. And I wanted to ask to get your ideas of what that can look like and where the opportunities to grow and things are already there that you think are wonderful that we can build upon. I think startups, I think my wish for, for Africans in the startup system or in the ecosystem 
is for them to build solutions for our African problems. Let, let's, let's stay away from building your TikToks and your, <laughs> no shade to TikTok and all of this. We have a lot of problems. We have problems with energy. We have problem with, with food, with, with you know, ag agriculture. We have problem with water, clean water and health. As we come in as young founders, as, as African founders who are in the tech space, we, we intimate with those problems and we also intimate with tech. So let's merge those things. Let's merge those two intimacies and, and build for Africa because the numbers are there. The last time I checked, we were 1.3 billion and I'm not sure how much, how many we are at the moment. So the numbers are there. The buying power is there. Let's build solutions for African problems. Our, let's become think tanks. They are build tech solutions to tackle Africans' problems. Then the next generations can do the TikToks. <laughs> no, that's, that's funny. I always love hearing people talk about, you know, how we have the numbers, how there's the buying power and all these things. And I always wonder, because I asked next, it's like, what's the gap? Is it a gap in um, people telling you no too many times? Or is it a gap in maybe like education? Is it a, where are we seeing this gap that people don't take that leap of faith to really start new things and bring it to the continent? I think the gap for me, the gap is that we're not building, we're not, we're not building solutions for our people. You're building for you, like we're building for ourselves or, hey, I'm passionate about this and things like that. I love this. That's where the gap is because the people are there, the buying power is there, but they're not going to buy something that doesn't speak to them or that doesn't solve their pain points. I think the first thing before we can even talk about funding and all of that, the first thing is build for, the, for solutions for Africa, build for the people, then they will come on board. Then that, that will solve your, your funding problems. Because once, you have been, once you've built for people, once you've built for the pain points that people experience, then the traction is going to come. People are going to buy. Then there's traction. Then with that traction now, it becomes a ripple effect. With that traction, now you can go and get funding. No investor will say no to you when you come 1 million US dollar ARR. We have the numbers. We have everything. So to get the numbers, build solutions, build for pain points. Then that's where we can match that gap. I, I, love, I love that, honestly. Um, and it, it, it kind of reframes the question that I've been asking in my head a lot. It's more like, you know, let's build solutions for us. Like, what do you see that your families have to deal with that you know, there's a gap that we need to fill? Um, so that's really, really interesting. It's definitely something I hope that our, our listeners can uh, resonate with. Um, we wanted to ask a little bit because we're getting this feel from you that, you know, you, you're, this is you, like, this is your element. You do this. Um, <laughs> and it's, kind of, it's, it's fun to like talk to you about this. Um, so I want to kind of get a, a gist of like, when you, you're doing your elevator pitch, your sales pitch to people, you have like, you no know, 30 seconds to get your idea across. How do you get people to buy in like within, within that time? Mm. <laughs> okay. So we are well-o. And we use smart tech to deliver health to your homes. So you don't have to leave your home. We have smart tech. We have the solution for your health problems. So yeah, that's us. That's well wellness. <laughs> I, love that. I didn't plan that. Yeah, <laughs> I must work on my, on my picture. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I think like, you know, it keeps it honest as well. It's like, you have to know, it makes it personable. It's like, I'm talking to another human being who saw an issue and is addressing it. And I love that. 
I um, wanted to ask you, um, you said that global uh, telehealth is becoming a bigger thing. And on our end, well, we're both in the States. We know about this company called Capsule, who was trying to do a similar thing that Waylo was doing, but more on this side, of, uh, within this uh, this realm. I was wondering if you like had any thoughts about them and how they do things, or even if you hadn't even heard heard, that, heard about them. Uh, any similarities or differences that you see about running a company like this within the States, as opposed to running a company like that within like you know, South African or emerging economies like that? No, I haven't heard about them, but uh, regarding the States, uh, I was approached by a company that's based in New York. They, they do delivery of clothes, like for your maces and all of that. And they were like, you know what? We love what you're doing. And we see a gap here in, in New York, in, in the four boroughs of New York. So whenever you're ready, please come and join us, like work with us so that, you know, we can do some sort of partnership but you do the, the medicine side of it. And I was very happy as well when I saw that Amazon has, is doing that. They've launched this, uh, this not, not this year, last year, late last year, they launched Amazon Pharmacy, which is doing exactly what we're doing, but obviously on a bigger scale. So for me, it was validation that, you know what, Welo can also work in the US and we can like, we can do rural US probably or the suburbs, you know, where Amazon is not playing, but also if we grow the African market, if we go the emerging economies market as well, we'll be ripe for the picking, you know, for, for an exit as well. So yeah, so yeah, that's <laughs> so US is also on my radar. It's just that I'm still putting all the ducks in a row. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm honestly, I can speak for myself at least. I'm, I'm waiting on it. I'm waiting on it. I'll be around for a while. So I'll definitely be watching now for Waylo and all the stuff that you guys are going to bring out. You talked earlier about adjusting um, how you guys are delivering service so you can like reach more people. But we understand that like sometimes, you know, pharmacy, uh, particularly drug prices can be really high for some people. And do you see Waylo in any way, fashion or form coming into that space to discuss or like kind of negotiate how much these drug prices are to kind of make it more accessible to your, your population and your customers. Yeah, uh, that, that's one of the plans that once we hit the numbers, we would love to be like that platform where people can get you know their drugs at, at a cheaper price. Also, you know, become a marketplace where pharmacies can also you know sell from our from our platform. But that's when once we hit the numbers. So that's that's in the future. Um, that's actually really great to hear uh, because that's something I know we often have a lot of conversations within the, the U.S. because honestly, the pharmacy system here is is, is an issue. Um, people are struggling to get the bare necessities. And I'm like, you already have the numbers here. So I love that. That's something that's in Willow's view, that that's something you guys care about, uh, that you guys want to address as well. Um, we're reaching the tail end of the, the conversation. Uh, we wanted to ask you a little bit more about like, you know, how what are your advice for the young people out there? young problem solvers like how do you get involved like who do you seek advice from um and things like that my advice to young people is that uh be be active on social media in social media for me twitter has really worked wonders for me like i i registered my twitter account in 2017 i was not bothered about it then i went to silicon valley then when i came back in 2019 <laughs> i started being active there so curate who you follow reach out to people in the DMs because I reached out to a lot of investors, a lot of founders from here to India, to Shenzhen, you know, to the US. You know, when I, when I get stuck, I just uh, send somebody a DM and say, hey, 
uh, I'm stuck with this. Can you help me? Can you help me with advice? So advice is everywhere. Mentors are everywhere. And read a lot. Read, read, read. I think reading really, it, it broadens your mind. It, even if you can travel, for me, travel is everything. But we, we, don't, we, all, we don't have money to travel and people don't have money and all of that. Make reading your travel thing. Reading will take you from here to Manhattan. It will take you from here to Paris. It just broadens your mind. So read, reach out to people. Don't be afraid to reach out to people. The, the worst they can do is just ghost you or say no. You absolutely have nothing to lose. Reach out to people. You don't have all the answers. I always tell my employees and I always tell myself, that I don't have all the answers. Hence, I have to reach out to people. I stop reaching out when I'm 90 years old. But before I'm 90 years, I'm still going to reach out to people and get answers, get help, and grow from there. I love it. I, I really do. Um, I'm definitely taking a lot of that to heart as well. Um, our wrap-up question, just to kind of keep things fun with our uh, people we interview, is like, what are some of your most uh, beautiful experiences on the continent? Um, memorable experiences that you know you want to share with the, the the audience. Wow, I think it was Zambia. It was my my trip to Zambia. I was called for a side visit. You know when you go for tenders. That was when I was still in the mining industry. So I was called for a side visit during the month, and I couldn't say no because now there's a client that I was pestering for a long time, and she was like, "Okay, Zanele, come into Kitwe. Kitwe is in Zambia, the Copper Belt." for a side visit. I didn't have money. I was so broke and I managed to get money. I told myself, okay, I can't fly. I don't have money to fly. I'll take a bus. So I took a bus from here to Zimbabwe, from Zimbabwe to Zambia. I was in my 20s. I think I was 24 and it was the longest trip of my life, but it was so exciting for me. It was like an adventure and I met people. And it was my first time traveling out of the borders really of South Africa. And that's when my love for the continent hit. I was like, yo, I'm going to start doing that. Then I did GRC, then I did Kenya, then I did Botswana. So for me, that solo trip, uh, going to look for opportunities in another country, not knowing anybody in that country. And yeah, it was, it was a good trip. It will always stay close to my heart and meeting fantastic people along the way. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I would like to thank you also for being here with us today and for talking with us. We learned so much um, and we look forward to hearing more about Willow. Thanks. Okay, thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm Pelumi Fafawara. I'm Gosling Salah. And I'm Tion Siro. And this is the New Africa Podcast.